This is a No Dava podcast. I'm Brian Hogan, and today I'm joined by Ben Cull, also known as Ben Who Likes Beer, the founder of Pinch Payments, speaker, and video author on both Pluralsight and YouTube. Ben is joining me from Newcastle in Australia. Thank you very much for taking time out of your morning, Ben. No worries. Thanks for having me. So to start off, Ben, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. Um, my name's Ben Who Likes Beer, with good reason. I uh, absolutely love beer and home brewing. Um, but uh, I guess from a technology standpoint, um, I've been a .NET developer for a little while now, and I decided to go and build my own product and my own startup. And that's consuming my entire life right now. And it's, uh, it's an amazing journey. It's lots of fun. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm into right now. So that's pinch payments. How, when you say it's consuming your life, how long has it been consuming your life for? Well, to be honest, it's only been about probably two years now, I'd say, um, worth of just work. Um, now that's not all full-time and this kind of thing. It's uh, it's kind of started out as a bit of a prototype and then a bit of a side project and then eventually morphed into something that I'm working on full-time. How would you describe pinch payments? Because you know, I imagine a lot of people won't have heard of it. Yeah, um, so pinch payments is basically uh, a business-to-business uh, payment gateway. And our key features that we kind of um, integrate with accounting systems, download their invoices, um, perform those transactions in the background, and then reconcile the invoices. So it's kind of like an automated accounting system, um, but we're very much focused on the, the payments part of that. How did you get started with uh, this product? Or I, I think you've got a kind of a history of, of product development. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean... Back in the day, my first job out of university was uh, for a payments processing company as well. Um, and I really thoroughly kind of enjoyed working in that environment. And I thought that, you know, this massive bank integration was really exciting. And uh, just day to day, the problems that you kind of battled and the system you were building was um, just a lot of fun. It was like a really neat challenge to, to kind of conquer. Um, and then, you know, when I was just out of university, it was me and a few friends. We used to like to get together each week and, you know, work on a side project of some kind. Um, our first one was this awesome uh, music, like live music aggregator called GigPig. It was fantastic. So much fun. Um, and, yeah, so we used to spend a lot of time basically uh, working on this side project. It was mainly for fun. We never really in it for any kind of money. Uh, we just enjoyed building things. And this was a great way to like learn new technology and that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, after a while, that particular project went out of favor. And we kind of split off and we did our own little projects. And mobile apps started coming up and we started getting into that. And basically, over, over the, you know, the course of my career from straight out of uni to where I am now, I've really always kind of been tinkering with with some kind of side project, something to, you know, learn something to build up. And it's just kind of in the more recent years that I've started to go, oh, you know what? It would be really cool if the thing I built could actually sustain me. And so I started getting more and more into, you know, the startup culture and looking at how products work and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, you know, this is for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a go. Yeah. So if listeners haven't guessed by now, this is going to be the topic for uh, the rest of our podcast, sort of that transition from developer to building a product, how you do it and so on. So that, so you, you decided that you like that, but how, how do you or how does one figure out what to build? Right. So, I mean, early on, as I, as I mentioned before, a lot of the stuff I was building was just kind of 
passion projects. They were just like, oh, hey, cool. Angular's just come out. I might give that a go by building some sort of form builder or, you know, uh, there's a new tech or there's some sort of uh, interest in, a, in something that kind of shapes the product you're going to build. Um, and that's how I kind of came at it when I was trying to learn new technologies. Once I kind of transitioned from, okay, um, I've got a fairly good, you know, wealth of knowledge about, you know, a fairly full stack range of tech now, uh, I'm more interested in what product excites me and what kind of industry or, you know, this kind of thing um, is interesting to me. And I think probably the most important thing to do is, is pick something that you really enjoy or an industry you really enjoy or something like that. And, and as I mentioned before, I started out in the payments industry um, and eventually I kind of moved into payment-related uh, products. And so the first one I did uh, that I really had a go at making a, as a proper thing was something called Event Debit. And the whole the whole deal with that was it's a custom form builder, so you can drag and drop text boxes and radio buttons and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and then at the bottom, it had a payment form that just pushed the, the transaction off to Stripe. Um, and I thought, oh, this is really cool. You know, this is going to make me a million dollars. It's lots of fun and um, I cannot wait to get this out to the world. Did you eventually you know, like the Stripe payment processors? Um, obviously, there are big companies out there like eBay and multitude of others. When you're building a product, do you think it's good to compare yourself to competitors, to large companies, small companies, or do you look to do something that no one's ever done? Yeah, so I guess uh, this is a great time to tell you that that event debit thing I built, of course, went nowhere. It was <laughs> it was a cool piece of technology. And, you know, I showed it to a few uh, friends and family, and they're like, oh, yeah, cool. Um, but one of the biggest problems I had is uh, a form builder with a payments button at the bottom applies to literally, you know, a million different scenarios, right? Like it could be a, a barbecue and you just want to you know let everyone ship in ten dollars or it could be you know a sports club that signs up with their registrations or something like that like it applies to too many situations um and as one person trying to sell a product to the world you've really got no chance in that sense um and so what i did then is kind of um try to tackle a market that was too big for me so the uh, comparing yourself to like the big guys, right? If, if they wanted to come in, like if Google wanted to come in and make that exact same product and go, yeah, hey, we made this auto form builder and you can add payments and stuff like that, they'd have the ability to market it properly and, and to be able to sell it. And so it might be a success for them, but it won't be a success for you. And that's kind of one of the lessons I learned is don't look at the big guys in your industry and copy them because you'll just be building the wrong thing. Yeah, because you don't have, as you say, the reach, the marketing, the brand, the name, the infrastructure. Because just because you've got a good piece of software doesn't mean you've got the the, the customer support, the everything mm. else that's needed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And this, I mean, it kind of ties in a little bit to when I actually started my the company I'm running now, Pinch Payments. Um, when I initially started building it, I... I realized by this point in time that, okay, I can't just copy people. 
well, I kind of realized, uh, but I like, okay, I need a more focused product. Um, let's rather than inventing something completely different, let's go and look at what the industry already has, see how I can make it a little bit better and then go and push that product myself. And so also comparing yourself to the big guy, this is kind of what I did. I made the same mistake again is I went into, um, uh, I looked in the industry and there was a company called Go Cardless in the UK. And their whole deal is that they only do direct debit payments. Uh, and for people who are unfamiliar with what direct debit is, because I know that the US system or every, every country's system is a little bit different, but it's basically bank to bank transfers directly processed via, you know, these companies. Um, and they, rather than using credit cards whatsoever, okay, no credit cards, it's just all bank to bank. And so their whole deal was just this bank to bank transfers. I'm like, ah, oh, that sounds right up my alley. I'm going to copy their business model exactly. I'm going to produce what they have and I'm going to sell that in Australia because, you know, it's difficult for this kind of stuff to cross countries. There's lots of differences. So I thought, oh yeah, I'm onto a winner here. I'm going to, I'm going to do that and everything's going to be great. Um, they're a very successful company. They've raised a lot of money. Um, you know, this should work out well for me. Um, and as you can imagine, well, actually, I honestly really thought that taking a look at a successful business model, reproducing, you know, it and introducing it to a new country would, would, you know, do well. But, um, again, it's this, it's this concept of resources and kind of the stage that your company or, you know, you're in. Um, I did produce that product and I was like, all right, world, here it is, or rather, all right, Australia, here it is. Um, and it turns out it was super difficult to convince anyone to use it. It was, you know, it, it didn't suit anyone's use cases. Uh, and I got really frustrated because I was like, no, come on, like this works somewhere else. Why can't I make it work here? And I think the, the, the big lesson I learned from this is the A, don't look at your competitors <laughs> to decide what it is that you're going to build. Um, and B, yeah. It's, it's all about the stage that you're in. So it, do you have the resources to achieve that goal you want? You know, do you have the, the resources to change the world? Like not everyone can just build an electric car and then pump them out throughout the world like uh, Mr. Musk did. Uh, you know, you've got to have the, the resources to back up your, your vision. But let's say you have kind of figured out what you want to build and you think there's a good market for it and you're working your nine-to-five job. How did you transition from that to being a product developer or independent or entrepreneur, however you want to put it. Right, yeah. So, I mean, that's a really good question because a lot of people are kind of, um, they they might be not necessarily stuck in their day job, um, but they, are, you know, looking at this world of entrepreneurship and they want to be like, oh, yeah, this seems like something I'd really like to do, but I'm scared because I don't know if it'll be successful. I don't have the, you know, the, the money to just stop working. Um, how do I, you know, do this? And so coming, kind of coming back to when I was doing a bunch of side projects, you know, I had a full time job, but this was just passion stuff. I just was working in weekends now and then and evenings now and then just plodding away. Um, and when I decided to get a little bit more serious about it, um, especially with this project, I mean, it started off as a prototype. So it was just a, Hey, I want to learn some new technology. Hey, I want to try out this kind of business model um, nights and weekends, a little bit of work. And then I got it to a place where um, I could kind of show it to people and get them to use it. Um, and it was kind of once people were a bit more interested in it that I decided, okay, let's try and have a real go at this. 
Um, and right about this time, fortunately, as well in my career, um, I was a consultant. So I'd been doing consulting in the .NET space for uh, a few years by this point in time, probably about three years. And um, that's actually one really important milestone, I think, in my career because it taught you a few things that you just don't learn as a, a full-time employee or things that I didn't learn as a full-time employee. Um, and it's things like, um, you know, considering the business value of your software rather than the uh, software best practices, right? Okay, is it 100% unit test coverage and full, um, you know, stacks worth of uh, or a properly implemented stack and, and segregated, you know, services, is that driving the business value or is it just best practice for the sake of best practice? And so that was a, a probably a really important lesson there. Um, and then it taught you a few other things, like a bit of people skills, how to communicate with people, how to even how to sell things, right? Because you've got to sell yourself and your ideas and what you're, what you're um, proposing to the client. And so I think it was really important to develop a few of these skills. It's mainly interpersonal skills and a little bit of business skills, I think. Um, and, you know, being a consultant, it's not like you're suddenly a business genius. It's just an introductory, you know, kind of an introduction to this, you know, world. Um, and you start to realize, I guess, what you don't know, like how much you don't know about this kind of stuff. Um, and so since I was a consultant, um, I was, a, I was a, essentially a full-time employee for a consultancy. So they just sent me out and I, I did the work for the client and I came back. But um, one thing that was then an opportunity to me is the ability to go out and freelance for myself. So um, I, I kind of I quit the, the, the job I had um, and I started doing uh, bits and pieces of consultancy for myself. Um, and that kind of gave me a bit of breathing room because you, you can kind of pick your own hours a little bit. You can choose how much you want to earn. Um, that was a scary leap going from full-time employee to consulting for, your, for yourself. But you, I think you've just got to try it out. You've just got to get in there and do it because in our industry right now, there's so much work going around. There are so many, you know, there's so many jobs, but what that really means is there's so much work to do. Um, and you'll find that there's lots of companies that really just want to you know, get you in and get you working. So um, I would say the first step is become a freelancer or at least try and get um, work for yourself and then reserve a day. Say, okay, Mondays, I'm going to start working on my, you know, myself, um, you know, my own project. And then the other four days you're doing the consultancy work. And the way I did it is I did three days consultancy, two days for myself, and then it gradually faded into full time for myself. Were you getting paid at this point by the time you were at the three and four days on the product? Or were you still in some senses kind of living off of uh, savings? Or uh, did you get funding, I suppose, would be the other thing? You know what? I'm still not getting paid. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, it's still very much early days for this company. Um, and despite, I'd say we've been, we've been trading uh, for about six months now and things are definitely looking up which is great um, and that leads into this whole other interesting question of do you go down funding road do you bootstrap and all that kind of stuff but if you know before we get down that far um, yeah no it, all the way up until this point um, I w wasn't getting paid through the product basically uh, it's just it's it's kind of like an investment you're putting time in 
And one thing I realized uh, is that you've really got to you've really got to put the the time in um, if you want to just spend that two days on your product and have it be that way forever. Um, you're probably going to move too slowly. Someone will come along when they once they see you have a good idea and they'll just replicate it or especially in the software industry, right? Um, but you, you, you need to put in the focus and the time and the hours and the amount of stuff you can get done when you are fully focused is is actually incredible. It's I remember when I started taking meetings, um, which is something I'd never done for myself before, like, you know, someone's interested in my thing. It's like a sales call. I go out and I'd meet them and, and greet them and stuff like that. And the freedom of being able to go do that was was fantastic. Be able to talk to them, you know, be introduced to their network and start to talk to other people. And you can see where this is going as well uh, when it comes to talking to people. But um, yeah, having the focus and the daytime hours to just always go and meet with people and be focused on your product, I think just it just elevates um, your trajectory. You know, you you uh, it, it really really helps. When you've got the product, let's say under development, and you're you're kind of getting the features in place or whatever you want to call them, how do you find the the right fit for that within the market? Right. Yeah. So this kind of this kind of ties back to what it is you want to build to when you're trying to figure out the product that you want to make. Um, and the the biggest thing I learned um, whilst developing my product is that I went guns blazing into building my product with a very clear vision in my head of what I thought we needed and what I thought the market needed and um, what the product should be. Um, and we built it, basically. Uh, it was me and my business partner. We went and built this enormous system. Um, and it was kind of a build it and they won't come kind of moment because we had this huge system. It worked perfectly. It, it was everything I had in my head. Uh, it was fantastic. And uh, kind of coincidentally and really in our favor was the fact that we built another product as well at the same time to dog food our original product, right? So we've got a payments engine here humming away. It's beautiful. It's like a nice big V8 engine. Just, ooh, it's, it's looking good. And then we thought, okay, what's the best way of testing this engine out? And, and so we built this little accounting integrations product that kind of just integrated with accounting systems and then... Uh, you know, pushed payments into the engine and we went, oh, yeah, look at that engine hum. Uh, and then it turns out when we went to sell things, the only thing that anyone wanted was this tiny little counting package thing on the, on the side. And we've gone, what? No, hang on. And it was like a, it was like boiling the frog. We didn't realize until like way too late that, oh, man, that's what everyone wants. It's not this big thing here that we thought that the market wanted. Everyone wants this little thing here on the side. And so even even right now, the vast majority, like the vast majority of our revenue um, and our interest and our sales, come for this integrations product, and and that's it. And it's blo- it still blows my mind that that's the case. Um, but I guess the the lesson I learned here is, um, but this kind of ties back to don't look at your competitors because that's what I kind of did. I thought, yep, this is definitely what I think the market needs. But it's really you've got to test the market. Okay. Build small and incrementally take it to people in the industry. Say, would you buy this? Hey, you know, would you use this? And even if you've got just a prototype, which we did for this accounting thing, people started going, oh, hey, that's neat. Um, can I, you know, can I get access to that? I'm like, sure. And then 
we'd work with them a little bit and they go, oh, this is great. And then suddenly it was in production and it was, you know, all that people wanted. Um, and one, uh, I guess, massive benefit that I learned way too late and it's about finding this market fit is as a developer, and this is just me and a partner, so we're two guys, as a team of just two people, pick a target market that's not too big for you to sell to. So they should be they should be small and identifiable. And for our accounting integration thing, that's a lot easier. It's, you know, accountants. That's a great one. They all use the accounting software. Uh, and it's small businesses that use accounting software. And even further than that, it's small businesses that use the accounting software zero. Like it's one exact product. Um, and that's that tiny little slither of target market is, is large enough to sustain us, but it's easy enough and it's small enough to go and sell directly to those people. So the, the tips I kind of have here are always, um, can you write a list of people in that market? Like, can you, could you start today and just write a list of say 50 people in that market? Great. That's awesome. If you can't do that, if it's too big or it's too difficult to figure out exactly who's on that list, then it might be too big for two people in a garage, basically. But let's say you've, as you did, you figured out this part of your product that's really popular and you've gotten you're saying some sales, but you're, you're also saying that you're not getting paid yet. How are you going to go about expanding your sales? Right, yeah. Uh, this is something else that we kind of stumbled into. Adam. I guess I've been very lucky to stumble into most of the uh, progressions in, our, in this company. But um, When we were talking, and this was just cold emails um, and cold calls to accountants, uh, we stumbled across, uh, across a particular guy and he looked at our product and went, oh, yeah, hey, this is pretty good. Um, I'm actually in the business of connecting, you know, pieces of software together. Uh, I was a former accountant and, and this is kind of, this is a neat little piece to my, my jigsaw puzzle that I solve for businesses. Hey, do you mind if I, you know, work with you a little bit more closely and we can go and uh, put you in as part of the solution to all these other companies? And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, go ahead, go do that. It sounds fantastic. Um, and so what happened is we kind of had this, um, it's kind of like a product ambassador or, or something along those lines whereby he goes out and sells our product for us. So he already is, is finding solutions for small businesses and we are just a part of that. So he'll go and he'll say, okay, you need this CRM, you need this accounting package, you need this payment system. There's your, there's your solution. Um, and we realized that, you know, Sales isn't necessarily all about you talking to your end customer. Try and find some intermediate people that could also help you out. Um, and this is even just accountants. So if we sell to an accountant, we can also sell to all the accountants' clients because mm. uh, it kind of benefits everyone. So we kind of had that in mind, but we didn't realize that it would be so successful in that way. Um, and so I guess the, the advice we have is, um, again, as just two guys in a garage, how can you leverage other people's skill sets um, or get other people selling on your behalf? And does that work for your product? Because that's been, you know, vastly, vastly helpful to us. But where would you see the next step being? So you've gotten, you know, the 50 people on the list, you're sold to those 50, you've got them selling to their friends, but it's still two guys in the garage, as you say. You know, how mm. do you, how are you going to sell enough to become the company of 10, 20, 100 people? Because yeah, you know, you, we is, can't just rely on word of mouth at some point, I think. Yeah, exactly. And, and this is exactly kind of where we're at at the moment. And it's, it's the big question we face is how do we 
go from the little bit of traction that we have to gaining a lot more traction and actually selling our product properly. Um, and it does kind of tie back to the thing you mentioned whereby, you know, do you get funding? Do you bootstrap it the whole way, which is where you just kind of do the consulting thing on the side and you keep trying to um, sustain yourself while you build the company up? Um, and the advice I've been given so far is to make sure, A, you should probably do up a pitch deck regardless of what, you know, your plans are. Even if you never plan to get funding or anything like that, um, it's a good idea to to put together a pitch deck because it forces you to think about your your target markets, uh, maybe the verticals that you're trying to sell to in that market. Um, and it forces you to, to physically outline the benefits that your product has, you know, the exact number of customers that are available to you, how much they earn, uh, how much, you know, revenue you will earn from them. Uh, and so the, the first document I've been told to, to make up is a cash flow document, which basically outlines these things. How much money do you earn? How many people, you know, and you physically take that list of all the people you wrote down. You say, right, I'm going to get five of them this month. I'm going to get 10 of them next month. You plug those numbers into this cash flow document. And then you can see, oh, yeah, it's going to take me, uh, you know, 2.5 years to start turning a profit. Um, I'll notice at the bottom of that dip where, you know, you're losing money, you're losing money, you're losing money all the way until you start earning it again. You know, the bottom of that dip is about 250K. So if I were to get funding, that's the amount you need, 250K. Um, and, yeah, it, it, doing up this cash flow document really forces you to think about all these different aspects. Uh, and so for us, that's exactly where we're at right now. We've got our cash flow. We can see that, you know, in a few years we'll be, you know, uh, fairly positive. Uh, and for us, it's it's literally just about sales. So if we do scrunch some money together, it'll be put into salesmen because we will have figured out A, our target market and B, our vertical. So who are we selling to specifically? So in our case, maybe accountants. And then at C, how, what specifically do I sell to that accountant? So what's my story? Um, what are the benefits for that particular person? How much do they pay? Yada, yada, yada. And once you have the, the formula figured out, it should be a case of putting money in, getting customers out, getting revenue, rinse and repeat, um, which is, is all great in theory. But uh, yeah, that's exactly where we're up to. So we'll see how that particular bit goes. But you've got an account, you, you have a piece of software that depends on, let's say, other pieces of software. You mentioned CRMs and other things that companies would have. Those com uh -huh. those applications would probably integrate with banks or with larger uh, payment processing systems or something like that. Do you have uh -huh. direct dependencies on other people's software or, you know, the formats of Excel that gets dumped down or or, or, or things that could change that are beyond your control? Right, yeah. So we... We do have a few dependencies. Um, in our particular case, we've got the bank, obviously, because that's who we process transactions through. We've got the accounting integration platforms I mentioned, such as Xero or Myob or um, FreshBooks or something like this. Um, and then we've got the accountant partners themselves as well. You know, if they're going to be out and going and selling, you know, for us, um, they're, they're basically a dependency then. You know, would we survive without them? Um, and... Probably the most interesting thing I've learned about my dependencies is to not treat them as a service. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, especially with the bank, we had big trouble with the bank initially uh, because we walked into the branch and we said, right, we want to be able to do this and we'll give you this money and you'll give us that service and then that will be the end of it. Uh, and of course, that didn't, that didn't work at all. Um, 
And, and we, we, we really struggled with this point for, for a really long time. Uh, and the, the thing I learned is that um, you really need to build relationships with these dependencies, not just treat them as services. So once we got to know, I mean, not just our account manager that was assigned to us, obviously, but we started to get to know people in the industry who knew people at the banks. And then we started to get to know the people at the banks. And then from there, that's when we started to get a bit more traction. You know, someone higher up in the bank goes, oh, hey, I, I noticed you're doing this. Let me introduce you to this guy who also has a similar situation and can maybe solve this problem for you. And I didn't have to push to get that. It all just kind of happened. And so having a good relationship with the things you depend on, I think is critical. Um, not only because you can respond to change better, but like mistakes will happen, right? And so if you have a relationship with these people, rather than them closing the doors and saying, nope, you crossed X threshold and you're now not allowed to do this. Um, instead, they'll be like, hey, Ben, you know, I noticed this happened, you know, let's talk about it. And then you solve the problem and move on. Um, and the similar thing goes for the accounting packages and the, and the apartments and stuff like this. I guess the big lesson here is, you know, everyone is a person um, and you should be building relationships with all these people rather than seeing the world as a big transactional kind of thing. And that's one of the big things in your presentation, isn't it? It's all about people. Yeah, and and you'll kind of if you if you go back now and you listen to this exact episode once more, but now with the clarity of knowing that everything I'm talking about is about people, it it, it should transform the way you even listen to just this podcast because from every single step, think about how if instead I had kind of worked with people uh, rather than products and money and bits and pieces like that. Um, and I'd get to know a few more people in the industry, maybe some consulting partners, you know, or I'd get to know people in the payments industry. I'd get to know people just, you know, at, uh, you know, software development conferences, much like uh, we've done ourselves. And so, um, yeah, the, the big grandiose statement of the entire thing is that it's all about people. You should be talking to as many people as you can. Um, be friendly and don't be scared to just go up and introduce yourself to people and say, hey, you know, uh, my name is Ben. What, what are you doing at this particular place that you just happen to be in right now? So all about people. Any final notes before we wrap up for the uh, morning, your time, evening, my time, Ben? <laughs> um, I guess what I would encourage you to do is, A, go out and talk to someone today. <laughs> that would be a fantastic start. Uh, you can catch my kind of things. If you want to check out my software, you can see it at getpinch.com.au. Of course, it only works for Australians, but if you're anywhere else in the world, you feel free to sign up. There's a great test system that you can play around with. Um, and if you want to know anything more about kind of, um, you know, speaking at conferences or, you know, just getting out there and building relationships, you can head over to bencull.com and check out the stuff I've done. Um, you know, there's some plural site bits there. There's some YouTube videos and stuff you can go check out. Um, and I'm really big into the startup space right now. So check out uh, Ben Who Likes Beer and Startups, which is one of my YouTube channels uh, for some content around, you know, this kind of journey and that kind of stuff. I'll put in links to all of those uh, in the notes for the blog or in the notes for the podcast post. Fantastic. Well, Ben Cole, thank you very much for your time today. No worries. Thanks for having me. If you like this episode, you might also like episode 13, where Christopher Marsden told me about the legal aspects of going out as a consultant and getting a startup running. Or you might like episode 18 with Jason Haley, where we discuss life as a consultant.
The opening music was returned by Nisi23 from the album 11 and 12, and the closing music was Sono Tranquil by Obsilio from the album Movie on the Moon. <laughs> 